but ask you to please remain standing as we go to the Lord and Word this morning. So if you have your device or your Bible with you this morning, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, and we'll hear in just a moment the reading of the Word of God as one of our families joins us to do that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. We're reading 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because of love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, dear Lord, I just pray that Pastor Spencer will have a good sermon today and everyone has a great day today. I also just want to pray that everyone will have a good week and that you will be there in tough times. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, every single one of us, every person is living a story that gives us purpose. Every one of us have a story, our framework through which we're living our lives that helps us make sense of the world around us. Uh, every year there is in our country a convention called the Comic Conference. Uh, it's really, and I say this as nice as I can, a gathering of geeks, okay? And it's a gathering for people who like to hear about comic books, like to learn about the upcoming movies that are coming out. And so they'll have actors there and they'll have movie producers there that are giving uh, words of wisdom and thoughts about what's going to happen in certain movie series. But one of the unique things about this conference is that the people that come often uh, wear elaborate costumes. Uh, you'll see uh, stormtroopers there. There'll be hundreds of Darth Vaders that show up. You'll see Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, all these comic book characters because the people that come to these conferences really, really, really get into these stories. And so they, many of them will spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on these costumes and wear them as they show up to this conference. And here's what I want you to know. While you and I may not be wearing a cape or a mask every morning when we get up, we are nevertheless living in a story too. Every one of us are trying to make sense of the world around us. And when we get up, there's some sense of purpose, some sense of longing that's moving us to do the things that we do. In the culture of which we're around, the secular story that we see playing out in our world is one of self-expression. The story most people are living for in the world today is to find yourself, 
to look deep within your heart, to find who you really are, and that the story you should be living out is the story of your own life, expressing yourself, pushing aside anyone that would get in your way of expressing who you are. That's the story that really matters. That's where real meaning and purpose is found. And while that secular story is incredibly prevalent in our culture, the biblical story is different. Because what the Bible says is that real meaning and purpose isn't found in self-expression. What the Bible says is actually real meaning and purpose is found in self-denial. Doesn't mean I'm not called to find out who I am. It just means the source that I'm supposed to look to is not within myself, but actually to God and his word. And so the reason I bring that up is because it is possible It is possible to sing songs on Sunday morning about Jesus, to declare things about him on the weekend and live a different story on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's possible to say you believe in Christ, say you even follow him, but functionally to live your life day to day for this self-expression, self-glorification kind of story. First Peter is a guide written to pilgrims, people that weren't fitting in. The people that Peter was writing to were living in a Roman culture in which they were marginalized and maligned and misrepresented. They were being invited to live in the Roman pagan story, the story about pleasure, the story of self-fulfillment, not too dissimilar to what we see in our secular culture today. And what Peter tells them today in this passage is the way that they can stay rooted in God's story, the story of grace, the story of finding our hope and joy in Jesus is by committing to the loving relationships that are the church. See, the church is more than something I come and watch on Sunday morning. The church is actually God's plan to ground you and I in the story of God's grace. The church is the mechanism God has put in place to root our feet firmly, not in a secular story of self-expression, but in the biblical story of the grace of God. And so here's the idea that I really want us to sink our teeth into today, which we're gonna guide our time together. Because the church grounds us in God's story, commit to her. Because the church is the mechanism, one of the tools God uses to keep us rooted in the story of grace, in the story of what Jesus has done for us. Don't be afraid to commit with your whole heart to the church. Now, one of the reasons I believe this message is particularly important in COVID, in this particular season, is what we're seeing statistically is people are disengaging from church and from church involvement at a rapid pace. The online Zoom thing was cool, right? For the first couple of months, it's lost some of its excitement. Hasn't anybody in here Zoomed out but me? I am Zoomed out, okay? And so one of the things that's happening in our culture is people are pulling back from engagement. They're pulling back from really connecting. And even those of you watching online, I want you to hear this. This is not just for people in the room. This is for everybody watching and listening today. Don't do that. Stay committed, stay connected to your local church, even if for health reasons and safety reasons, you have to do that online. Commit to God's church 
because it's the way he's going to keep you rooted in the story of his grace. I'm going to show you two ways from this passage. Jesus is calling you and I to commit to one another as the church. Number one, this passage calls us to commit to love one another. This passage calls us to commit to love one another. I want you to notice this, okay? Watch how Peter, in talking about the story of God's grace, moves right from framing these folks in the story of God's grace to calling them to love one another. Look at verse seven and see how this flow happens. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. And above all, maintain constant love for one another. So in verse seven, he says, listen, the Lord's return is near. That doesn't mean he's giving us a date or a time. It does mean he's saying that Jesus coming back and judging the living and the dead and making all the wrongs right, that's the next chapter in biblical history. That's the next major event. You and I are living between the death and resurrection of Jesus and his ascension into heaven and his return. See, that return is what's coming next. Root yourself in God's story. Root yourself, be alert, be sober, be aware that that's what's coming. That's what you're living for. And then from that rooting, that reality of God's story, he says, more than anything, what's gonna keep you remembering that Jesus is coming back, that his return is near is to love one another. That word love is the word agape. It's where we get the idea of this kind of divine sense of sacrificial love for one another. And it speaks to a setting of your affections on someone regardless of what they don't or do, what they do or don't do. I'm I'm to love someone this kind of way regardless of how that person Acts. It's interesting that even secular uh, people recognize the importance of love and relationships. Uh, Tom Rath in his book, Vital Friends, talks about the importance of friendships and relationships and how it impacts actually productivity in the workplace and in society. But one of the interesting things Tom points out in the book is that Duke, Duke University, did a medical study on people with heart disease. And what they found is people that had heart disease without any friends that were isolated were twice as likely to die as those who had heart disease and had close friendships and relationships. In fact, the the study basically concluded that if you have four or more really deep lasting friendships, four or more people that really love you and care about you, it actually had an impact on your health. So think about this, secular studies showing that emotional connection, that loving emotional connection between people actually had a physical impact on their health. Why is that? Well, it's because God has wired you and me for these kind of relationships in such a way that when we enter into them and when we truly love one another, there's actually an impact that goes beyond just my emotions. It actually impacts my entire life. So right from the beginning, what Peter's saying is the church is more than just something you come and watch and observe. The church is meant to be this web, this family of interconnected, loving relationships 
between God's people that are the church. Now, in this passage, he goes so far, though, as not just tell us to love one another. He calls us to love each other in two specific ways. First thing, if you're taking notes, is Peter calls us to a forgetful love. He calls us to a forgetful love. Now, that may sound weird. Let me explain what it means from the text. Notice verse 8 again. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Here it is. Since love covers a multitude of sins. What Peter's saying here is when I truly love someone, I don't hold their mistakes and failures over their heads. Here's the reality. If you decide to love people, if you really decide to open yourself up and really get to know people to, to really care for them, there are going to be people who disappoint you. There are going to be people who let you down. There are going to be people who hurt you. There are going to be people who do things that you wish they hadn't done, said things that you wish they hadn't said. That's a reality. And Peter's saying is that when I truly love someone, it doesn't mean I ignore those problems, but once I deal with them, once I say, hey, you know, when you did that, it hurt my feelings. And there's an apology given and there's a, there's a reconciliation that happens. Peter says that once that reconciliation has happened, we move forward. You ever seen people that can bring things up from 10, 15, 20 years before that have never been reconciled, never been dealt with? It reveals a heart that's hurt. It reveals a deep-seated hurt that's never really been healed. And Peter says, listen, when you really love one another the way Jesus is calling us to love each other, you don't hold those things over each other's heads. You know, 1973, there was a warehouse fire that destroyed um, a significant number of the military personnel records from the early 1900s all the way through the 60s. It was before records had been digitized. And so literally thousands upon thousands of military records were lost. And while I'm sure there were some people that were very sad about that because they had a glowing, shining record, there were probably some other people out there that were probably happy <laughs> that those records were destroyed because maybe they had something on their record that they weren't exactly proud of. I remember sitting in eighth grade English in Memphis, Tennessee with Mrs. Kraft. And I remember laying in my bed one night praying that her grade book would instantaneously catch fire. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to get hurt. I didn't, I didn't wish harm on any person. But I remember just thinking, you know, Lord, if you could just let it catch fire, just, just miraculously, my life would be a lot easier. Because then my parents wouldn't find out about what I've been doing in eighth grade English. Okay. What Peter's saying is that we have that kind of mentality with wrongs people have done to us, that we burn it. It's consumed in the fire of God's forgiveness of us. God's forgiveness of us becomes a fire that consumes the wrongs other people have done against us. The kind of love that Peter's calling us to then is first a forgetful love. But secondly, it's also a pursuing 
love. It's a pursuing love. Look back at your Bibles in verse nine. He says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now that word hospitable means to serve somebody to the point of being inconvenienced. That you're willing to serve and help someone to the point that helping them actually hurts you to a point. It inconveniences you. Think about the incredible frontline workers, first responders, people in our culture today who had to step up in this season of COVID and be incredibly inconvenienced. Doctors, nurses, paramedics. Nobody has a heart attack or a health problem on a schedule. Nobody puts in a request at a particular time. I think I'm gonna have a heart attack on this day at this time. There's an emergency that comes up and there are people that rush in to help. One of the incredible things we see about the really gifted paramedics and first responders and ER doctors and nurses that rush to help people is you never hear them complaining as they're helping. Have you ever had some, one of those precious gifted people help you? You know that the only thing they're trying to do in that moment is save your life and we're thankful for them. What Peter's saying is that's the kind of way we're to love each other. We're to love each other with a kind of urgency, with a kind of willingness to be inconvenienced. But please don't notice this phrase. Look back in your Bibles at verse nine. We're to be inconvenienced without complaining. Now I know people who have the spiritual gift of complaining. I know people... (laughs) who make complaining a hobby or a pastime. And uh, complaining at its root is a dissatisfaction with life or it's a misunderstanding of what the goodness is that God has given us. But Peter says, listen, when we're really loving each other with this way, we're willing to be inconvenienced. Why? Because we've been given a love that was willing to be inconvenienced. When we complain and we act like people are a burden to us, we are woefully unaware of the way God has loved us. We're woefully unaware. We did not deserve the precious, life-giving, transforming love of Jesus that's calling us to love the people around us with this kind of inconveniencing, without complaining kind of love. So here's the point. Here's what Peter's saying. Our love makes God's love real. The love you and I are called to have for each other is meant to bring the love of God into reality in the lives of people around us. The way that God's story of grace becomes more and more real in your life is yes, through reading the word, yes, through worshiping together on Sunday morning, but it also shows up in the relationships we're called to have with each other. Why should you commit to a church beyond just Sunday morning worship? Why should you really dig yourself in to being a part of this body of believers? It's because through the relationships that Jesus connects us to in the church, I experience his love through the love of the people around me. This past Sunday afternoon, I got home from church and I was kind of vegging out a little bit, scrolling through social media, and I saw that a really good friend of mine had died very tragically. John Powell was a pastor 
in the Houston, Texas area, who last weekend was driving from Texas to Missouri. And he was on I-75 just north of Sherman, and he saw a car that was stranded in the middle of the interstate. So he and his friend pulled over, and they rushed to the middle of the road and began to push this car off to the side to get them out of danger. But as soon as they began to do this, this 18-wheeler began to bear down on them. And John, with just seconds, pushed his friend out of the way and then was struck by this 18-wheeler and tragically killed. John was married to Catherine. They have four small kids. And this week, as I was processing my friend's death and what he had done, in some sense, it was John. He was a heroic guy. He was a brave guy. He was an outdoorsman. He was a rugged guy, cowboy kind of guy. He was just that kind of person just to throw himself into harm's way. And so in his death, it, it really was the, the accent to his life. But you're left with a lot of questions, right? God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you allow this? And I wasn't able to go to his funeral, but I watched online. They live streamed his funeral because so many wanted to watch but couldn't attend. And one of his friends said something that really, really stuck with me. He said, John's life was one of the greatest evidences for a good God in his life. He said, you know, I've, I've heard all the arguments for God's existence all the different things you can show me about why God is really here and how he's the sovereign ruler of the universe. But John's life, the relationship I had with him, the love he had for me, the love I had for him was the greatest evidence I've ever experienced for the reality and the existence of a good God. What he was saying is that John's friendship with him, John's love for him made God real to him. And church family, this is what Jesus is calling us to as a church. He's calling us to a kind of love for each other that makes God real. He's calling you and I to love each other in such a way that we stand back and say, no one could be inconvenienced like this and forgive me like this apart from God. So let me ask you, are you loving the people in this church family with that kind of love? Maybe, maybe one of the questions we should ask is, is there a vision in your mind of what the church is actually supposed to be? That's more than just a service that you come and watch, but it's a family that you come and engage with. You know, one of the ways we've tried to make this simpler at First Baptist is through our ministry of life groups. We understand you can't love hundreds of people in our church with this kind of love that Peter's talking about here, but you can do that with a few. And one of the reasons, even in this COVID season, we're encouraging you to connect to a life group, either in person or online, is because we want to have an opportunity for you to love people but for you in turn to be loved. Are you seeking to be that kind of person that loves those around you? But secondly, this passage also speaks to not only committing to loving one another, it speaks secondly to us committing to serve one another. We're called to commit to serve 
one another. And Peter starts talking about this in verse 10. Look in your Bibles with me at that. He says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Now, the reality here is Peter's saying that every single believer, without exception, has received a gift, a grace gift. In this text specifically, as we heard it read a moment ago, it speaks to gifts that typically two categories, they're gifts of words and they're gifts of deeds. Word gifts are gifts where I teach or I encourage or through my words, I'm investing in someone else. Deed gifts are through my actions, through what I do, I'm pouring into people, I'm investing in people, I'm building them up. The point is, every single one of you, if you know Jesus, you've received a gift from Jesus. There are other places in the New Testament where this is listed more exhaustively. Peter doesn't do that here, but he just wants to emphasize every one of us have something. Well, pastor, how do I, how do I know what my gift is? Here's how you know. Two words, write these two words down. Enjoyment and effectiveness, okay? The way you figure out what you're gifted in in the church is by figuring out, number one, what are you effective what do you look at and you say, I'm good at this. When I do this, there's an effectiveness, there's an impact that it makes. But also, second word, enjoyment. What do I do that when I do it, I actually enjoy it? You ever found that you're good at something, but you hate doing it? That's not your spiritual gift. <laughs> your spiritual gift is an overlap between what's effective in your life and what's enjoyable in your life. When those two things come together, Eric Little, he a uh, famous missionary, had the movie Chariots of Fire made about him. He was an Olympic athlete, Olympic runner. There was a point in his life when he was torn about whether he should go directly to China to the mission that his family had or to stay and run. In the movie, in the conversation he has with his sister, he said, yeah, I want to go to China. I want to go do what God's called me to do. But God's also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I love that phrase. When I run, I feel the pleasure and the goodness of God. Here's the point I wanna to make to you. There is something God has gifted you with, something he's given you that when you do it, you feel his pleasure. There's something that God's given you that when you live it out, there's a pleasure, there's a joy that comes in your life because you know you're doing what God made you to do. Peter talks about two ways these gifts are to show up in us as we relate to people around us. He says, first, we're to serve one another. There's a reality that these gifts are meant to bless people around us. Notice in your Bibles again, he says, verse 10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. There's a kind of other orientation to this. There's a ministry to other people I'm to have, I'm to, to care for them. But secondly, and more importantly, this text emphasizes that I'm to serve for the glory of God. That ultimately the gifts that I've been given are for not me primarily, but for God and for his glory. There's a couple of ways this shows up in the text, but one of the things he tells us clearly is that we are stewards. Another way to translate that is managers of the grace of God. And there's a difference 
between an owner and a manager. Peter's saying God owns the gifts. He's the giver of gifts. You and I manage the gifts. Okay, here comes your weekly cowboy illustration. Jerry Jones is the owner of the cowboys, for better or for worse. The coaches that he hires manage in a term, in a sense, the team for him. Coaches come and go, some with more frequency than others. The owner doesn't change, he stays. This is what Peter's saying about us. God is the owner. He's the one who owns the gifts. You and I are managers. We are entrusted with things that we're to use for his glory. But these gifts that we've been entrusted with, ultimately we know they're for God's glory. We know they're for his kingdom because of how Peter ends this passage. Look at verse 11. He says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that, notice this, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So if I speak, I'm to speak as if God is speaking through me. If I serve, I'm to serve with the strength that God provides. That's the word gift. That's the speaking. That's the deed gift serving with whatever I do. I'm to do it unto the Lord so that all of the glory goes to God. In other words, when I use my gift, I don't want people to be impressed with me. I want people to marvel at God. When I use the gifts that have been trusted me, when I feel his pleasure, The goal is not for more pats on the back for me and for you. The goal is that God is ultimately glorified. Here's the principle that I want you to write down if you're taking notes. God's gifts advance God's story. The gifts God has entrusted to you and to me are not meant to advance our lives primarily, It's not primarily for fulfillment of ourselves. The gifts God has entrusted to the church is meant to advance his story. So watch this. If the love we have for one another roots us in the love of God, the gifts God's given the church is meant to advance, expand the goodness and grace of God. One of the interesting things I read a commentator uh, said this past week was that First Peter talks a lot about varied types of trials and tribulations the church is going to go through. It talks about suffering, difficulty. And we know this, the, the first century church, especially the people Peter was writing to, they were being maligned, marginalized, misrepresented, attacked. Some of them maybe even killed. And what Peter's saying is that on the one hand, while the world presents this variable group of trials and tribulations and problems, God entrusts the church with a variety of gifts within the body to counteract, to correspond to, to to give alleviation to these trials. So within every church family, the variety of gifts are meant to help us deal with the variety of troubles and hardships we will confront as followers of Jesus and pilgrims in a fallen world. One of the interesting things about marriage is over time you... You learn different things about each other. You feel like you're always growing. And 
one of the things I've learned about my wife is she loves projects where she gets to put things together. She loves it. My, my sweet wife is in our preschool area this morning serving. But if she's here, she'd probably turn red because she loves building things, putting things together. I remember when she was seven or eight months pregnant with Paige. She was greatly with child. And I came home one afternoon and she was in the floor in the middle of the room with an Allen wrench putting together this cabinet for Paige. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, well, the boys are doing this and do that. And I, I just wanted to build this thing. And I said, okay. She loves to build things. And one of the things that I have to do oftentimes is if there's a piece that's not in the cabinet, the box that was supposed to come with it, that she needs to build it, I am the one that has to go and find that, find out what's wrong, call the 1-800 number, do all that. That's my job, okay? I'm there to support her as she does that. But isn't that frustrating? Isn't that one of those frustrating things in the world is when you set something out to build it and they've forgotten this key critical piece? If you ever had that happen, it's incredibly frustrating. Because what's supposed to happen is when you open a box to build something, everything's there. If you get it from Ikea, it comes with 50,000 Allen wrenches, right? That you get to spend all afternoon screwing and putting together. When it works the way it's supposed to work, it has everything you need to build it. Now, here's the final point I want to make to you. The church of Jesus Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit with everything we need for God to build and to advance His church. So make it clear. If God has given us every single thing we need to build His church, if He's entrusted to us everything we need, if you have a gift and you're part of this church and you don't use it, we are missing a vital vital piece of what God's called us to be. If you have something and you're not using what God has entrusted to you and the way God has called you to use it, there's something that we're lacking as a body of believers. I talked about life groups a moment ago. It's one of the reasons why we've emphasized serving so much in this body. Because I want to be clear, church, we ask you to serve and we ask you to sign up. I am not just interested in getting something from you. Listen to me carefully. I want something for you. Serving in the body of Christ is not just about the church getting things from you. It's recognizing that when we mobilize you to serve, God has something special for you. Could it be that one of the reasons some of us today are struggling in our walk with the Lord, we feel stagnant, we feel disconnected from Him, is because we're not utilizing the gifts God has given us. God has not called you to be a lake that just sits stagnant. He's called you to be a river where he's pouring things into you and you're pouring those into others. If you're here today and you've never committed to a church, maybe you're online and you're feeling disconnected, we want you to know that we believe one of the ways you stay rooted in God's story is by committing to his body. But let me be clear, before you can ever commit to God's church, to commit to his body, you have to commit yourself to Jesus. The love Peter talked about, the love that was willing to be inconvenienced is indeed what Jesus has shown you and me. He loved you and I enough to die on a cruel cross for our sins and to rise again. 
If you're here today or you're watching online and you've replaced your faith and trust in Jesus, in just a moment, we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, never committed to him, turning from your sin and trusting Jesus, we'd love to invite you to do that today, tell you how you can do that. But please don't forget church, because the body of Christ, through those loving relationships, through those serving relationships, is how we stay grounded in God's story. In a season when so many others are disconnecting from the church, you commit to be part of this body. Father, in Jesus' name, we're thankful. God, we're thankful for your grace and your mercy. Lord, as we turn our attention to responding to your word through singing and declaring your goodness, we pray, Lord, that you would take this word and you would make it alive in our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen.